As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Now, we normally like to theme each show, as you know, but it's been very busy in Arsenal land over the last seven days, so we do feel like we need to be a bit more reactive today. So after a big week for the Arsenal, we've got the big hitters in. Amy Lawrence, Art de Roche and James Nicholas from The Athletic are here to pick the bones out of a great away win in Europe and then an even better home win over them from down the road. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi, guys. <laughs> it's, James, Hello. it's James Muck Nicholas, though. Don't deprive him of his muck. I did say Muck Nicholas, did I not? Really? Maybe really? I think it was Nicholas, but I was going to let it slide, Ian. Uh, I'm, not, you know, I'm not fussy about this. There's like protocols here and discipline that needs to be adhered to. Yeah. Somewhere oh, right, around here right might get dropped otherwise. <laughs> oh dear, I've just done an over. All right then. Uh, well, we are recording this podcast. We'll get to that. We're recording this podcast on the Monday afternoon, the day after. As you know, we came back from 1-0 down to win 2-1 in the North London derby. Uh, the big story before the game was, of course, uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's lateness, even though he drives a car that goes 180 miles an hour. Uh, so the opening question, tell us about a time you were late for an Arsenal game. Art, have you been late for an Arsenal game? You're a young person. You're a bit tardy with your timekeeping. I'm you? actually quite good, I think. I, I don't think I've been late. Because <laughs> yeah. even before... Uh, I became, I guess, a professional journalist, you'd call it. I, I'd usually try and get in before even team news was announced. So I, I don't think I've ever been that late. Um, no. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Well done. We're very, very proud of you, Art. Uh, James, what about you? When have you been late for games? Oh, I'm late all the time. Are you? I'm late all the time, yeah. Well, certainly compared to the other writers, I'm quite late, I think. Maybe they're just being more professional than me. I don't know. But... The, the instance I was thinking of was when I went, basically, I went to New York to do a live version of the Arsecast. And we were going to watch Arsenal versus Chelsea in a pub in New York with all these Arsenal fans. And my flight was delayed. And I think it was the game, that I think Arsenal won 3-0. But um, Alexis Sanchez scored and Meza Ozil scored that goal where he sort of volleyed it into the ground and it bounced over the keeper. And basically, I missed most of the action and I flew across the Atlantic to do it. Um, so I then had to talk about a game live in front of 150 Arsenal fans who paid to be there that I hadn't really watched. Um, so that was quite embarrassing. I, I imagine there are one or two fans listening to this now just going... <gasps> My God, you never would have known. He can blag it so well, yeah. as we can, of course. If he is. You would, you would know that. We would know the details. Amy, have you been late for a game? You must have been. Uh, I was once late in a way that really, really annoyed me. Where I had to meet a friend of mine who um, had tickets near us, but oh. I had his ticket, and he's always taking his time and it's like there's five of us that had season tickets together and we'd sort of take it in turns to wait for the late guy 
And uh, it was a Champions League <laughs> game against Juventus. I think people might remember it for uh, uh, Bergkamp's assist to Jungberg, a famous scooped assist. And guess which mug was outside the ground? That's how late. I think <laughs> oh, I'm, I think man. the goal. I've just oh. looked actually. I think the goal I'm might have been scored on the twenty first minute. So that's how I was. I'm I'm really really not one of those people that handles standing outside the ground when the ground is going when the game is going on very well. Um, so yeah, I, I I think I was quite miffed about that. Painful. What about you, Ian? Oh uh, well, a couple of quick stories. One where we where we weren't quite late, but almost. We'd arranged to fly up to uh, Cardiff for the cup final. And we had a, a restaurant booked for about one o'clock, and then um, we had a, the, the plane had a flat tire on the way uh, on the way up, so they had to go to another airport and pick up a front wheel and put it on the plane. And the plane left three hours late. We got to the game with about two minutes to spare. Uh, I think it was the um, one of the cup finals in Cardiff, possibly Chelsea, when Ray Parlett scored the goal. But the best bit about that was on the way back, we were sat on the plane waiting to leave, and. Um, the stewardess came came on the tannoy and said, um, uh, in the event of a decompression, oxygen will fall from the ceiling. And Keith Dover, who some of you may know, piped up oxygen. You couldn't even pump up a f***ing tyre on the way up, right? And the entire uh, plane fell about laughing. Uh, but we, I made it for that one. The one I was actually late for, I think it was early 80s, bolting away. Um, there was uh, tremendous problems on the train. And we got to the ground half an hour late. And I missed both goals in a one-all draw. And then there was a derailment on the way back, not of our train, but one in front of us. And I didn't get back till four in the morning. And I didn't wake up until 2.30 in the afternoon, missed the first half an hour of the game on match of the day. I've never seen the goals both times. <laughs> I missed the goals both times. So um, very, very painful. Amy, tells it, tell us, you, you tell us you've got one more. Well, I mean, I, I wasn't going to mention it, but I mean, obviously it, it has to be noted that some of us missed the first 10 minutes of Anfield 89 because of the traffic. So I do have some sympathy with the Bamiyang. You can't always get where you want to get in time. <laughs> Okay, well, that's duly your sympathy is duly noted. <laughs> I realise I'm in quite, sm quite a small minority. I don't think there's a lot of sympathy out there, but I don't know. No, I wouldn't think I wouldn't think there is. Uh, now, right now, you can subscribe to the Athletic for a special price of three pound ninety nine for a six uh, for a six month period. 40%, that is, 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. <laughs> Uh, good and bad points about yesterday, obviously mainly good, uh, and we'll start with those. Um, Amy, they didn't get back from Greece till Friday morning, and then they put in a performance like that. I mean, that is quite impressive, the amount of running, hard running. You could see the last 10 minutes, perhaps, and we'll get to that. But in general, they were the better team, and, and that's impressive with the long trip they had in midweek. Actually, they didn't get back till Friday night. Mm. Even more impressive <laughs> then, isn't so, it? Really? No, but uh, th this is quite interesting. Um, uh, uh, Mikel Arteta's uh, strategy for this was to try not to disrupt the usual rhythms and patterns and routines too much. Obviously, going over uh, for a Thursday night game uh, with a three or four hour flight, it kicked off 10 o'clock local time, causes complications. So I think what they... Um, thought was the best plan was to stay in Greece overnight. Uh, they had a kind of warm down training session um, the following day in Greece, uh, lunch, and then travel back in the afternoon. Um, so there was really precious little time. But what they did do was not have one of those get back at three, four o'clock in the morning and feel totally mushed up in with your system. Uh, so it was, a, it was a risk to an extent, but, but like other risks that he took regarding this game it was one that uh, that paid off James let's talk about some of the performances yesterday Emil Smith Rowe uh, on the left hand side um I just made a little note in our sort of joint document that we keep for this um when we do the prep <laughs> I know some of you out there thinking really but we do um and that how many runs he made and how the legs he's got and I was sort of wondering whether do you need that in a number 10 particularly? He Maybe he's better off out on the left and then you can put Erdegaard in at number 10. 
Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think they play the position in really different ways. And Smith Rowe does have these attributes that you maybe ordinarily associate more with a wide player. He's got that sprint. He's got that ability to interchange positions, to run beyond the defenders, to make the runs in behind. He can really dribble. If you think about your classic number 10, you know, you think of a Meza Erzl or... James Madison, whoever it might be, they're not typically sprinters. They're not typically people who you think of as being great off-the-ball players. And Emil Smith-Rowe absolutely is. And I thought he was brilliant in this left-sided role. He probably won't thank me for saying it because it's not his preferred position. He wants to be in the middle. He wants to be you know, a central midfield player or an attacking midfield player in that middle third of the pitch. But he was so good. And the way he you know, works with Tierney... Tottenham's right-hand side was a bit of a weakness for them uh, with Doherty there, and we exploited that superbly. I thought he was Arsenal's best player on the day. I think he created four chances. His pass completion rate was like 96% or something, which for a player who's operating primarily in the final third is pretty extraordinary. I just wish he'd got the reward he deserved with that shot that came off the woodwork because that would have crowned an absolutely brilliant performance. Yeah, I think we, we'd all agree. Um, I mean, while oh, while uh, James mentioned uh, Kieran Tierney, I mean, immense again. I mean, he's obviously not scared of a North London derby. He's played in an old firm game, but his performances this year, that consistency, and I know that they were that on, on Match of the Day, they were talking about, or on Sky, they were talking about the bad defending for the first goal, of, uh, for our first goal, but... That was a tremendous bit of play by him down the left. Yeah, and I think it's something everyone's come to get used to since he's come to the Premier League, especially, I think, after the game, I saw a tweet where someone <laughs> compared his, like, his hesitation and then burst past the, burst past the right back to a LeBron James clip. <laughs> and I think it's just... <laughs> if you get a chance, go. I retweeted it, so if you get a chance, go and see it. But... Uh, just the confidence that he has on that left side, I think, is unrivaled. And just to speak to uh, James's point about Smith Rowe as well, I think um, with Erdegaard in the team, even though you'd probably say they're both number 10s, Erdegaard also comes to the right side a lot as well, which gives yes. uh, Smith Rowe the chance to get a bit more central, like he did for that shot that hit the crossbar. And I think uh, just having that amount of creative options including Tierney as well, because he's almost playing like a winger at times, um, especially <laughs> for that goal against Benfica a few weeks ago. But I think when you have those amounts of, of creativity in the team, it only uh, leads to positive things, I think. Yeah, I mean, Amy, it was positive. And, and I think Art's point about uh, when Erdegaard goes out right and then uh, and then Emil Smith-Rowe, when he came onto that ball where he hit the bar, he, he sort of came from the centre of the pitch, didn't he? Well, I just think it was what was so pleasing about it was that it, it felt like a slight conundrum, really, how you were going to squeeze these two talents in the same team and it be effective within the framework. And uh, to start with, I think there was, you know... Quite a few people were a little bit anxious that um, Erdegaard does seem to have a, a kind of a halo around him as far as Arteta just loves him, it seems. He's played a lot of football since he came in. And, Last eight games. Yeah. Impact. And um, there was a slight worry maybe that Smithrow, who had been so instrumental to a kind of shift in the whole methodology of the way Arsenal were trying to play, being a little bit sidelined, either literally or, or figuratively. And... Um, to see them both flourishing together on the pitch and the way they've sort of, I think clever players work stuff out. Clever players like to play with other clever players. Good players like to play yes. with good players. That's a kind of basic. And it feels like they needed a, a little bit of time to figure out how they could both be really effective. And that, you know, Odegaard is still, I think, improving and finding rhythm. It's the more he plays, the, um, the more comfortable he looks. I think he's regaining confidence that maybe got knocked a little bit when uh, he went back to Madrid and wasn't playing that much, and and that's normal. And for Smith Rowe to to be kind of thrown into a slightly different position, and at the beginning it looked like it took a little bit away from his game, and then have the uh, decision making, intelligence, and drive to make sure he makes it work to sort of reinvent himself, a bit like Saka did when he moved around and played different positions and you feel like you could play him anywhere and he'd be brilliant. 
Smith Rowe has shown that he's developed a knack to play in some different positions out there and be really important. And that's fantastic news. Um, And I just think it was really pleasing as well that you're up against a team where it's, you know, Kane and Son and Bale and, you know, this this, uh, much lauded, very experienced, much older sort of set of forwards. And uh, Arsenal have got three youngsters out there who are all shining. Saka still, you know, wasn't maybe at his absolute best, but he does look a little bit tired. It's understandable. But what talent there is out on that pitch and for them to have the personality to go and express that talent in a North London derby when the pressure's on because the captain is a bit of a storm going on and they just got on with the job brilliantly. They did. No, I'd absolutely agree. Uh, James, I mean, Erdegaard is looking more comfortable. Two goals in uh, in three, four days, whatever it is. And... Um, would they have played that way if uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang had been better with his timekeeping? Would both of them have been in the team? And does it matter, particularly? Maybe it's one of those happy accidents that that suddenly Mikel Arteta looks at it and goes, OK, that's another option. Yeah, we don't actually know at this point who Aubameyang would have started instead of. I mean, the assumption that I made was Lacazette, right? Because Aubameyang's been playing... That's kind of the spearhead of the attack. But, but we know he's not possible. that sort of player, don't we? Back to goal, holding the ball up, bringing other players yeah. into play, sort of forward. No, so it's possible that he might have started on the left-hand side, in which case, yeah, Smith-Rowe, I suppose, would have been the, the beneficiary stepping in. I, I don't know if it's fortuitous from Arteta or not that things panned out that way. I mean, funnily enough, I don't think Lacazette had a great game no. by any stretch we'll of imagination. Yeah, but I think, you know... he. He tucks away the penalty. He wins the penalty and he tucks it away very, very nicely. But it, it's such an interesting thing, the Aubameyang situation, because if Arsenal don't win that game, I think you know the complexion of the discussion around it is very, very different. I should say. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So whenever you make a big call like that, you really do need the result. Arteta got it this time. But I do think he is finding something in that balance behind the striker. You know, if you think back to before Christmas, we were all you know, bemoaning the absence of creative talent in this team. Now, if you look at Saka, you look at Odegaard, you look at Smith Rowe, two of those players weren't uh, here prior to, you know, Christmas, essentially. Well, Smith Rowe was, but wasn't being picked. Saka's now found this role on the right-hand side, where before he was being shunted around the pitch. I think he has really stumbled upon something, this Arteta, and it is encouraging. I mean, if I look at our team yesterday, I look at the progress we've made in the last few weeks, I actually do feel quite optimistic, as particularly because some of these players are really young. I mean, Odegaard's coming from Real Madrid, but he's still only 22. Yes. And you make the point about him playing a lot of football uh, and Arteta being, you know, very much praising him at every opportunity. But I think that's probably because there's a bit of a charm offensive going on. You know, if they want to keep him, they've got quite a job on their hands to convince him to leave Real Madrid and, and come to North London. So I do wonder how much that might be a factor in selection and certainly in the way Arteta talks about the player in his press conferences. We've basically got a few months to convince him this might be the place for him going forward. Well, well I guess we'll see, like you say, in the coming months. Um, uh, Art, uh, I'm assuming I'm assuming we've all watched uh, Jermaine Jenis um, getting a bit teary on match of the day over the penalty. Do we all, um, Art, do we all think, do we think it was a penalty? I think you have to, <laughs> the only answer is yes, I guess. <laughs> on the, the only yeah, answer is on yes. On this podcast yes. especially, but yes. As, as, <laughs> as soon as, <laughs> as, as uh, Lacazette's gone down, I, I was actually watching the game with my mum. It, it's one of the first times I've actually let her in the room because basically she's all, usually a sense of bad luck for Arsenal games. So uh, I've got quite... She was there for this one. Yeah, so I get quite superstitious well, sometimes. Then she, <laughs> but, um, well, no, she has to stay in it from now on, yeah. OK? I think that's... Um, uh, Mrs. De Roche, uh, I'm sorry, but you're going to be watching a lot of Arsenal games no, it's, for the foreseeable future. It's fine, she's an Arsenal fan, so uh, she'll be happy about that and I'll let her know. But yeah, Good. As, soon, as soon as Lacazette uh, went down, I turned to her and said, that's a penalty. I've just waited for the confirmation, basically. So I think... Um, We've kind of, we've come to get used to that from Jermaine Genius Genius over the years. I think uh, the Chelsea Chelsea FA Cup semi final in twenty seventeen, if I'm remembering correctly, is another example. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely definitely a penalty. Even even um, 
Tottenham fans were admitting it in the comments to his tweet about it um, during the game. So I, I don't think he can have much to complain about. <laughs> you won't you won't get any disagreement from me. I'm assuming Amy and James, you feel the same way. And, and it's a sort of penalty, Amy, that if it was for your team, you want it to be given against your team, you'd feel a little bit of grief, perhaps. Yeah, I also feel um, that, you know, I'm not saying there's been a scientific count here, but it does feel like about 100 penalties that Arsenal could have had this season they've not been given, one reason or another. Yeah. Mm. So um, Peters for Burnley the other week. me. I mean, I mean, on countless examples. It's a bit like uh, the... the uh, um, banished, undiscussed subject of Harry Kane's... Um, how do we call it? Uh, body charge against <laughs> Gabriel. I mean, you know, there are there are things that go on that often don't get uh, due attention. Let's just say, um, yes. I don't. I didn't see there was much cause for uh, too many tears for that penalty decision. <laughs> no, I, I don't suppose you would. Unlike um, Art's mum, I wasn't in the room. Actually, it was a reverse reverse scenario. I. I was dying for the loo and about a minute before the penalty, I thought, oh, I'm just going to run up to the loo. And I said to the kids, I said, don't do that stupid thing where you go, oh, it's a goal. Like as soon as someone leaves the room. Love your kids. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so do I. And, um, and of course, there was much screaming, uh, uh, you know, I thought, oh, for God's sake, I thundered down the stairs um, and it was a penalty. So yay. Happy days. It, and wasn't it a great penalty, by the way? It was a really, really fantastic really good, penalty. Yeah. It, was the, it was the first decent connection he had with the ball all game, but I'll take that, right? A word for Pepe's pass as well, I think, that led to the penalty. No, I yeah. think it was yeah. unreal. Absolutely. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, by the way, Tom Hickey said, I watched the North London derby from Connecticut yesterday and managed to get my partner to join me for most of it. We equalised as soon as she joined and then the rest is history. It isn't the first time this has happened. I think she might be a bit of an Arsenal talisman. Do you, any of you have superstitions about watching Arsenal people you always never want to watch with? Uh, Tom Hickey sent that. I All I did is I, I, I got the cat not to sit on my lap because... I'm not a calm place when I'm watching a North London derby, but um, <laughs> just by the way, I don't know if anyone else, any 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 others of you have superstitions. I don't suppose you do, really. We're we're all, um, you know, not once not I share on this podcast. Times. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, quite. Um, uh, James, you mentioned uh, Gabriel, did you not? Um, that um, oh, that header. Oh my god. I oh, love him. he put down a marker. What was that, that header? The, oh. no, the header the other day was was fantastic, and and, yeah. and Villa can lie no, there all the he wants. Like the going. header to stop Tottenham from getting a Jamie oh, the header to stop. equaliser. That was that was a magnificent. Incredible. Yes, I agree. The blot near the end as well. He's. Uh, I'll ask you, James. Do you think he's first choice now, Gabriel, for, with those two performances that he's given? I think he's been really good. It's tough, isn't it, with the Arsenal centre-backs? I feel like there's quite close competition. I mean, Pablo Marie's barely put a foot yes. wrong in the games that he's played. I thought he might come back into the team at the, the weekend. Rob Holding did uh, very well when he played for us. He had a couple of mistakes, but he's been doing yeah, well. And it's, quite, it's been quite quick, hasn't it? He's gone from playing almost every minute in the Premier League to now feeling a bit like he might be kind of fourth in the queue, maybe, behind Marie, Louise and Gabrielle. So it's 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 close, the centre-backs. And I think there are different combinations. But I, I have to say, I thought Gabrielle came through this week really strongly. And I think that's good because he's a player with a big future. He's a young guy. He arrived in England, had a really good start, then a little bit shakier. That's to be expected in the first season. There's going to be a period of adaptation. But I thought he was very good yesterday and for 75 minutes he dominated Harry Kane and actually I think that the foul that Harry Kane makes on Gabriel which is really bad I think it's a really egregious foul is born out of frustration yeah. uh, because Kane could not get a kick you know this was unusual for Tottenham to not be able to get into the Kane into the game at all and he was so dangerous in the reverse fixture you know he set up so many chances for Son on the counter attack the way we marshaled him in this game for the vast majority, was a lot better. And I think a lot of that was down to Gabriel. Of course, in the final 10 minutes or so, everything went slightly to pieces. Well, the less said about that, the better. Well, no. I, well, you, <laughs> that's a strange intro because I was going to talk about it, to be honest with you. Oh, OK, right. Okay. No, because... The more said about that, the better. <laughs> I mean, it did seem to start 
Oh, I, I thought there was a moment when uh, Gabriel misplaced a pass to Cedric and about the 77th, 78th minute, and it all seemed to go downhill from there. Cedric, by the way, had a decent game as well yesterday, but that last 10 minutes, that was... Do you, do you agree with David Luiza that, that it was down to the young players and the the way he said it on Match of the Day, it was the way they played with emotion? I mean, I mean, do you agree with that analysis? Yeah, well, even with the mistakes, I remember one. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just after the one you mentioned. But Thomas Partey trying to play the ball back that to one. to Louise, yes. and he's absolutely lost it. And I think um, moments like that, we just have to cut out of the game, really. And I think even it, against Olympiacos, they were still there with David Luiz himself, and then uh, the mix up with Danny Ceballos and uh, Bernd Leno, and it's just. Yes, I do agree with Louise to an extent in terms of the young players playing uh, with emotion. That's getting Arsenal through certain moments. But again, uh, you actually need your senior players to to see through uh, the more pressurised moments, I guess you'd say, uh, towards the end of matches. And even Mikel Arteta admitted that the way Arsenal are managing those types of situations aren't that good. And I think those... Um, those are the moments that are probably a bit more um, in the limelight when, when you look at these things. You know what, Amy, I'm just thinking about it. We do, most weeks, we talk about problems that Arsenal have. You know, defensive issues, giving the ball away, not scoring enough. But it does feel like progress, does it not? The way that we seem to address these problems. We still make mistakes, but everyone does, don't they? Just in this last week, I think, to be able to, um, twice in a row come back from, uh, you know, a, a big disappointment, albeit disappointments with different flavours, um, giving away a silly goal in Greece and then conceding a, um, you know, a very good goal, but a very annoying one because you've been on top for all the game and Tottenham haven't had much of a sniff. Uh, it showed a, a lot of uh, resilience for Arsenal to just keep plugging away and work their way back into both matches to win. So that is a plus. I think if... I do have this feeling with Arsenal, though, that the next thing they need to do, really, and James talked about how this is a you know evolving team. You look at the, the even during the course of the season how the personnel has been shifting, and um, but to make real sustained progress has got to be the next goal because it feels like Arsenal are quite good at taking a step up the ladder, and everybody goes, "Oh, look, that's been a great week," you know. Um, now what? Now look, if they can only win the next game and then the next game and looking at the table and you kind of lull yourself into trying, you, you know, to, to imagine um, a genuine upward curve. That's the point at which Arsenal have a crap game, usually against whoever. Yes. Um, so it wasn't dissimilar very, very recently to go and uh, win against Benfica and then win away at Leicester, which was a really, really good result. Everyone's getting excited again and suddenly it's going and having a rubbish 1-1 draw at Burnley with a very flat performance. So it's a, a difficult ask with what's in front of Arsenal in the next games. But Started well, haven't we? I, I would like one of these days that we're sitting here and you're talking about a really good month instead of a really good week. And you know, step by step, actually extend and prolong this sense of progress this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. A couple of uh, negatives from yesterday. Uh, James, you did uh, send out a tweet at, I think, 
just past midday or something when uh, you, yeah. you managed to photograph Oba's, is it a Lamborghini, is it? Or some, I don't know what it is. A super, it's a Ferrari. Ridiculous supercar. He's got one of everything, to be fair. He's got him. more than one. He's got a number of those cars with different holograms on. But you photograph one of those cars crawling along uh, Muswell Hill towards the roundabout at sunlight, eight minutes past 12. Uh, and uh, now we realise he was late. I mean, anyone who's lived in London longer than, certainly North London longer than 10 minutes knows that you never go around North. It's always busy around the Muzzle Hill roundabout. But, um, so he was late. Mikel Arteta dropped him from the team, made him sit there, didn't even bring him on when he replaced Lacazette late in the game. Um, I mean, he, he's very into his discipline, isn't he? Do you think, is it maybe not the first time that um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has been late for a game? Uh, it's definitely not the first misdemeanor on Aubameyang's part. And, you know, some of those incidents have been reported previously. There was a, a missed COVID test, for example. And I think as the club captain, you know, Mikel Arteta, you're right. He's really hot on this stuff. He's trying to implement these kind of new cultural uh, ideas at the club. I think he thinks it's essential that the skipper leads by example. And consequently, he can't make any exemptions for him, you know, if he if he fails to abide by the rules. So... I, I think it was a really bold call from Arteta. Not Could have just gone to, very badly wrong, couldn't it? Let's be fair. Not yeah, not just to leave Aubameyang out, but also to make the reason why public. I mean, I'm sure there've been many instances in the past where Arsenal managers have left players out, but you know they haven't necessarily given the real reasons why, and it's quite easily done. It's very easy to cite a muscle strain or fatigue or tactical reasons. How many times have we heard that tactical reasons about a player's omission? Um, Arteta didn't do that and he sort of put his head on the block a little bit there by saying look I've taken this decision it's on my authority uh, and if you win of course it looks great and I think personally I'm okay with it I know not everyone feels the same I know some people feel that maybe Arteta is a little bit too didactic in this respect that he's a little bit too strict almost schoolmasterly um, I think that it's probably on balance a good thing I think if you speak to enough people who've been around Arsenal over the past, well, going back away now, you could be talking over 10 years really, there has been a sense in which the, the culture around the club has been a little bit a little bit cushy, a little bit soft, you know. And I think having someone at the top, who for, working from the top down, who has a very a slight disciplinarian element to them, I think at this point in the club's life is a good thing. Um, and so I, I respect the stand that Mikel Arteta took and I think it's right that nobody should be exempt from it. I just wish he hadn't done it just before kick-off of the North London derby, though. I must say I absolutely was ner a nervous wreck, really, thinking, why would you do that? Why would you, yeah, but you, why would you consciously you disrupt? Yeah, but well, right, that's true. But why would you con <laughs> consciously disrupt, um, you know, detonate a grenade just before a kick-off? of a North London derby, like, just do it after, like, say whatever you want afterwards. I thought it was immensely, uh, well, let's just say it was on that fine line between being very brave and being a little, being very foolish, because it could easily have backfired, because had Arsenal not won the game, and then there would have been this whole sense of, like, a big drama behind the scenes contributing to that. I felt it was uh, timing-wise that I don't have any issues with wanting to set high standards of discipline and including the captain is that and believing that they should set by example absolutely but just maybe after the game rather than before I, I, it just makes me wonder if I know there was something almost pointed about it like I, I have a desire to make this public so whether there had been uh, private attempts to solve these kind of things previously that hadn't worked and therefore it felt like this was a necessary next step, I don't know. But it's still, it's still a very, very interesting one because, you know, Arteta's got to be confident that, that Aubameyang's going to kind of come back happily into the fold because it could do without, a, a you know, a, a big problem, let's just say. I think one of the things that's tricky is at this stage, we don't know precisely what he was late for. But if you think about the fact that Arsenal had so little lead time going into this game, you know, we talk about them coming back from Greece late on the Friday. They basically got recovery the next day. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that they were meeting up on the Sunday at the Emirates Stadium to talk through, you know, fairly detailed, important tactical plans. So in that respect, if you're about to start doing that, 
and one of the players you're intending to pick isn't there, mm. but you've got Alex Lacazette sat there in the room, maybe it is the responsible management to say, well, I'll work with what I've got. Uh, Lee Dixon, by the way, tweeted uh, yesterday, and I'm looking at the timeline. It looks like he tweeted after the game when uh, obviously it worked out. Uh, Arteta was right to drop over in my book, regardless of the result. The, the integrity of the team and its values have to be maintained. No one bigger than the group. It has to be that way, in my opinion. Um, Art, uh, I mean, it, it worked, but um, as, as Amy and James have been saying, it could have gone horribly wrong. Yeah, and I think the point you brought up earlier, Ian, as to <laughs> would the plan have gone as well with our Bamyang in the side, I think uh, the Leeds game last month probably shows that it could have went just as well, if not better, because in that game, Aubameyang scores a hat-trick, yes. I believe, and yes. Smith-Rowe and Odegaard both play uh, very important roles in the win. And I think, uh, of course, Leeds aren't as great a side as Tottenham, but um, there probably is cause to believe that Aubameyang could have done uh, just as good a job, if not better, than Lacazette did against Tottenham uh, yesterday. But in terms of just <laughs> laying down the law, the only kind of issue I had with it was uh, if you're going to drop him, why <laughs> why put him on the bench and not bring him on if you've got someone like uh, Eddie Nketi who's played in the under-23s on the Friday night or Gabriel Martinelli who, <laughs> who seems to be like a figment of our imaginations at the moment who... Can't, he just can't yeah. seem to get a game. And I think uh, I did ask Arteta about it a few weeks back against after the Leicester game. And he said basically it was about getting him in at the right moments. And it just when when you don't bring him on against Olympiacos in midweek or against Tottenham or in any other games before that, it just makes you wonder when is the right time to actually give Martinelli those minutes. Maybe with... Uh, a very encouraging uh, scoreline in the Europa League against Olympiacos that could happen in the second leg, but um, that that was on my only kind of question about what happened. I, I wasn't really too um, too thrown, <laughs> I guess is the word, by by him no. being dropped because because of the reasons that Arteta cited. I, I was okay with that. It's just about um, how I guess he went about solving the issue. I, I mean, let's talk about the forwards uh, then. Uh, Andrew Dyer has written to us, it's easy to overlook uh, this considering the joy of the past two results, but how serious of a problem is Arsenal's current failure to convert many of the clear-cut chances they create? We almost paid for it again yesterday. Uh, Amy, that is a fair point. Maybe this talks, this, this, this maybe leads into more of a, a discussion about an upgrade to our number nine, to Alex Lacazette. Maybe. Um, I, I just don't know how much funding there's going to be for major transfers this summer. So it's quite difficult to know what Arsenal are capable of. Um, but I suppose it's the old adage, if you're making the chances, then hopefully things start to, to click. You know, the, the, what I like about recently is different players have been scoring as well. It did feel for a long time like... Um, there was so much onus on the goals to come from Aubameyang, largely. Yes. And when you're... This you, is encouraging. You, yeah, now, I mean, look, look at, uh, uh, you know, because we, we, we're we recording now and we're focused on what happened yesterday, you know, that we, we haven't spoken much about the um, Olympiacos game much, but Moel Nenny, people, come on, show some love. <laughs> it was marvellous, you know, wasn't it? It was a beautiful moment. It, it, it was. It's been really healthy to see the goals coming from you know, from different areas. Uh, you know, in Greece you had a, a, a Gabriella defender scoring an absolutely brilliant goal. Moel Nelly, who is ostensibly a defensive midfield player, but he was kind of roaming around all over the place. Um, and uh, Odegaard, who's you know needed to add goals to his game, someone in that kind of creative midfield slot. Um, so it's really helpful that there's more spread and. Um, let's hope that as just a bit more confidence to be taking more shots and hopefully that the you know maybe maybe a few more shooting sessions would be uh, uh would be good just to ref refine things a bit but it feels like things are heading in the right direction in that not that long ago it didn't feel like Arsenal were creating many chances at all and that was much no. worse 
No, I, in a part of the notes for this, James, I wrote, uh, Jose Mourinho was so negative. I'd rather die than have him as an Arsenal manager, is what I wrote. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at Follow Jasper has a long memory, though. Uh, he says, I know it makes me petty, but I will never forgive Stoney saying we should have gone with Mourinho over Arteta. Um, I, and also well says Harry Kane is man. a cheat, pass it on. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 can't, uh, I can't disagree. It was, uh, I thought they would be more attacking. <laughs> than they were but um mm. was it was it partly james to do with the fact that especially um on the left hand side we are so attacking ourselves it pushes them back i think there's an extent to which that's the case i mean it, it was odd i did think Mourinho approached this game in a slightly strange manner he picked what looked like a very attacking lineup um and then played then defensively approached it. yeah yeah and kind of got caught between two stools really um and I know a lot of Tottenham fans are pretty aggrieved about the approach that he took in the game. And actually, when you look at the last 15 minutes, what they achieved with 10 men uh, suggests that had they come at us a little bit more, you know, I think there could have been there could have been something in it for them. Um, but uh, listen, I don't want to give too much of the credit for for this result to Tottenham's deficiencies. I'd rather put it down to Arsenal's excellence. And I think you're right to say that that flank was a really important part of it. And, and I don't want the the kind of anxiety of the last 10 minutes to colour my uh, interpretation of the game too much. Because I really do think until that point, Arsenal were Austin. by far the better side. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned not taking chances. That's certainly true. But they were also unlucky in some instances with Smith Rowe from range and Cedric from the edge of the box. A really good effort. Um, a really good effort, actually, because he does well to get to the ball, yeah. let alone get the shot away. Uh, and so I think, you know, Arsenal, Arsenal were the better team on the day. And... Uh, Back to front, really. Apart from that, that awkward end period. Um, so, awkward. yeah, and, and actually, uh, while you say that about the left, I think that's a really good point. Something I've observed recently is that I think we are for for a long time the left has been our stronger flank. We talked about the idea of being an unbalanced team. I think the right side is improving, yeah. and what's encouraging is it's improving with different combinations on the field. You know, we've seen. Cedric and Pepe in the second half yesterday. We know those two players have quite a good chemistry and a good understanding. We've seen Saka interacting well with Cedric and with Bellerin too. I think Martin Odegaard helps provide that balance because, as mentioned, he likes to drop out to the right and combine on that side. So I think there are indicators that you know we're looking like a more balanced team than we have for, for the vast majority of the season. Things are looking up. Uh, by the way, follow Jasper. I am sorry, by the way, uh, that you will never forgive me, but I'm here for the foreseeable future. So you're just going to have to live with it, uh, I guess. Uh, I should also, we should also pass on our congratulations to uh, Emil Smith-Rowe and Eddie and Ketia for making the under-21 squad for the Euros group stage. Uh, although Eddie doesn't... Um, doesn't appear to be getting much of a chance uh, with uh, with Arsenal at the moment. Um, that that's not he's not the only Arsenal forward as Art mentioned as well. Um, I mean, general question, uh, Amy. I'll ask you this: Does this mean uh, Saka's probably fulling the squad for the uh, for for the foreseeable? I mean, I guess he has to be, doesn't he? Yeah, it would be mad not to. Yeah, I think Saka yeah. and Foden are way out of uh, the sphere of playing under twenty one junior football anymore. Well said. Uh, uh, Art, we're going to let you go at this point. Thanks very much for joining us, as always. Thanks for having me. Hope uh, I was a good inclusion this week and look forward to hearing oh. what you guys get up to in part two. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
we better beat uh, with the handbrake at time. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, Art de Rocher has left us, but still here with Amy Loris and James McNicholas. Uh, now, before we get going, <laughs> again, we have to address the elephant in the room. No greater legend than Ian Wright has broken into song. Uh, or Broken Bad, if your name is Amy, Amy Lawrence. Uh, now, many listeners have been wondering how Amy has taken uh, this. And how much of a shine was taken off the day by Ian Wright's endorsement of Sweet Caroline, said Tim Scales. Uh, Don, Dan Shaw also got involved, and Nicholas Arm. want to hear your reaction, Amy, to Wrighty uh, singing Sweet Caroline. <laughs> I'm, I'm heartbroken. To say it, it, it's horrible when you're heroes, I, I, you know, I, as people <laughs> probably know by now, there is no limits to my love for Ian Wright. Um, so yeah, what can I say? I was uh, really disappointed. <laughs> no, I, I. I, I, I was I was sorry because I could have I think we could have done with him on our side of the campaign. So yeah, it, you know, it, it, it's 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 never something I will. Um, it's always going to be endured. It's never going to be enjoyed as far as I'm concerned, that song. Uh, May it rot in hell. Um, luckily, it's that I can separate these two things in my own brain. My love for Ian Wright is unta- untainted, but the song remains evil. <laughs> okay. James, I, I know you're not as bothered about this uh, as Amy. Um, the problem is, I think I'm quite um, a suggestible person because i sort of get swept up in it whatever happens they could have played anything at full time there and i would have been carried along in the moment just because i was so happy to have won the game um so yeah i'm not the best person no well i certainly shouldn't because i love that tune (laughs) i want it i have it playing on a loop all the time i just walk around the house with headphones is it sung by jose Mourinho? (laughs) in my head it is sung by jose Mourinho. i know what you're doing there I'm not rising to debate. Anyway, um, one thing I did want to talk about, by the way, and thanks for writing in, uh, Nicholas and um, uh, Dan and Tim. We appreciate, um, especially when you're taking the piss out of Amy. Uh, Art wrote a piece. He talked about the fact that Arsenal created plenty of chances, but they can't keep defending like this. Uh, He was talking specifically about the mistakes we made against uh, Olympiacos on Thursday night. We gave away another silly goal after the Burnley goal. We could have given away a couple more. James, uh, I mean, how do we keep getting away with it? I mean, we don't, to be honest, but we can't keep doing this. And you know what's weird as well? In the Spurs game, we had 11 versus 10. And you thought, right, we'll just knock it around at the back. And then we started going long. I was like, we had no centre forward on. (laughs) I was tearing what's left of my hair out. I couldn't understand it. It it is kind of uh, maddening and fascinating. And I, I sort of look forward to seeing how Arsenal conspire to concede a goal next. At least there were no so obviously egregious errors in this match. yeah, I, I, it is interesting. I do just sort of think we have certain players that have capacity to make these kinds of mistakes. And, you know, the likes of Louise and Shaka, they're players that in some respects I really admire. But in other respects, I think we have to, to know what we've got with them and accept that these are part of the package. And as long as they're regular starters, we're probably going to have this discussion every eight weeks, wondering how they've done what they've done. I mean, we said it, Amy, uh, the Burnley game, you know, we, we let in a stupid, stupid goal when Leno passed to Xhaka. But there was also the, the goal against Burnley was us playing out from the back and suddenly we're on the break. So I, I'm glad they're doing it. Maybe we just have to accept the mistakes will happen. And and as someone pointed out on TV yesterday, um, the mistakes that we make always seem to result in goals. That's not the case with other teams. Maybe, but I mean, we're interested in Arsenal and let's be honest, the number of mistakes that leads to goals is unsustainable. It's ludicrous. Uh, I'm intrigued by Arteta's insistence, you know, almost on point of principle. This is what we do. You know, we'll work it out. Um, If Arsenal can win the Europa League this year, playing that way, um, all the credit in the world to Mikel Arteta. But if somewhere along the line, a, they make a stupid mistake like they did at Olympiacos and then don't recover from it. It will be quite uh, frustrating, really. So, um, I, yeah, and like James says, it's tricky because you feel like it's um, it's partly down to 
style of play, which is a choice. And it's partly down to the nature of personnel, which are players who ha have a mixture of qualities and a sort of self-destruct button, um, all wrapped up in the same package. And that's Arsenal right now. But uh, it was really, really pleasing against uh, Olympiacos to, to get not just the second, but the third goal. I think it they didn't look like very, very strong opponents. And you think if you're giving weak opponents uh, easy gifts, you you can't, can't you're not always going to get away with it. But I was very pleased that Arsenal um, got got the sort of cushion that I think really helps, hopefully, to make sure that the second leg is not nervy because I'm always wary of second legs where you're at home. Although you're supposed to have the advantage, there does seem Against that Against Well, I mean, yeah, it's not like we haven't seen it before. So No, um, no, no. But against no. many other teams as well, it's a, it's such a precarious position. So hopefully, I mean, it is also, that hopefully there's enough sorry, I mean, enough damage that's been done in that first first game. I mean, that's the feeling, isn't it, James? I'm, I'm feeling fairly confident. I, it, there are fine margins, though, as we know. At one all in the game against Olympiacos after that, that ridiculous goal, Hector Bellerin made an absolutely splendid block to keep it down, to mm. keep it at one all. 2-1, that's a very, very different game and a very, very different second, second leg. Yeah, and that's what's so maddening about the mistakes Arsenal make. They seem to resuscitate the teams they're playing. You know, they breathe life into them suddenly. Um I do think that the lead Arsenal have should be enough at this yes. stage. Um, famous last words, but yeah, I feel confident ending it. Let's have a song then before we go. Having beaten Olympiacos on Thursday and beaten Spurs yesterday. <laughs> Let's have a song. James, start with you. Well, there's been this slight trend at the Emirates Stadium recently of after players scoring, having a song. And my strong suspicion is the players might have a hand in the songs that are played for them. When Lacazette scored the winning penalty yesterday, uh, there was a bit, little blast of a track called Highest in the Room by Travis Scott. So I picked that. Good. OK. Uh, by the way, we had a couple of uh, of people write in. Callum Clue said, better not look down, BB King. <laughs> and Kyle at... Destructible Cake suggests Don't Cry For Me, Jermaine Genus. <laughs> Not really a song, but we'll take it. We know what you mean. Thank you, Carl. Amy, what about you? Well, it is a song for Jermaine Genus as it goes. A great one. Uh, Frankie Knuckles. So, so many tears. When the curtain comes down and the circus is through, no one is left but me, you and all my tears. So many having um, Rizzle Kicks, always late, because uh, um, for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and also because they're Gooners as well. Uh, that's it. Thank you to Art de Roche. Thank you, Amy and James. And thanks to our producer. I'm Ian Stone. Uh, thanks for listening. See you soon. Athletic.